Welcome to Cross of Gold, the podcast where two brothers, one a Christian in the political wilderness and the other a socialist in the spiritual wilderness, work to rediscover faith in each other, our communities, and the American experiment. We have begged and they have walked when our calamity came. We beg no longer, we defy them. You shall not press down upon the brow of labor this crown of thorns. Howdy, folks. We are coming to you uh, with a little bit of a special occasion here. You may notice something a little bit different about the audio quality because Chase and I are sitting across the table from each other for the first time while we record one of these episodes. But it is not just special because of that. There's uh, some big news in the Capo family this week. We have the birth of Chase's first son. Yeah, Cato Duke Capo. And for those that are joining us for the first time, I'm Chase, the Christian brother. That makes me Cyrus, the socialist brother. Yeah, so you know what? Big day. We were born just about a week ago, uh, premature C-section. Samantha was going into uh, contractions, and so it was relatively, uh, not a t- it, was, it was planned, but it ended up being a bit of a rush in. And uh, just because it was such a, ordeal pulling him out he had jaundice and is fighting it just is on light therapy now he's he's doing better praise god we had a lot of people praying for him um so it's just been kind of a wild gig happy to very thankful for the uh, samantha's family and you guys for for making the trip in yeah anytime that uh you know it's a pre uh what's the word for it neonatal birth or just uh beforehand before it's supposed to happen either sure. way it's a double blessing, the birth of the child and the sort of clearance that, uh, you know, looking looking healthy. So yeah. we're all happy about that. Chase, any uh, any surprises for you being a, a new dad? Oh, okay. Surprises. Yeah, I think I think the, the biggest thought on my mind, maybe a surprise, is how much I love this little person that I've basically just met. I think Samantha's been more in tune with that, but you know we have a new member in the house, a new member of the family, and so I think I'm I'm certainly still growing in what and how I feel for him, but immediately I've got this attachment of like, I I, I guess it could be described as love and protection. You know, I want good for him, that sort of stuff. So that's cool. Yeah, it's like seems like a truism a little bit if you haven't had that experience. You know, neither of us really were raised around many children younger than us. Um, but even as an mm, uncle, yeah. and I don't want to besperch the special nature of the uncle nephew relationship, but I didn't know what to expect, what I would think of this baby, but it does, he does feel like part of the family already. Ooh, yeah. And we might have to have a separate conversation with you. Maybe we bring dad in on the, you know, the, the trifecta relationship, father, grandfather, uncle that we, we plan to have yeah, some special male bonds there. Yes, wow, indeed. Wow. Oh yeah. And, and <laughs> I'm sure you'll have a, a unique imprint on him. Um, yeah. yeah. But you, you you mentioned other things, other surprised about, I guess, like um, I'm thinking other things too, a little bit simpler at least. I'm surprised what he smells like. I, I thought like a new house has a, a new smell and a new car has a new smell. I think there's a, at least Cato has a new baby smell. I, yeah. I think it smells like a Waffle House ham, which, dude, you know. <laughs> you know the scent of a Waffle House ham backwards and forwards. I love me some Waffle House. And for those that um, haven't been in the South, it's okay. Just get here as soon as you can to, to eat a Waffle House. And if you grew up in the South and spoiled it by your late night college drinking days, 
and don't appreciate it, shame on you, reapproach <laughs> it with humility and, uh, and thankfulness. Hey, I did both. I did that during my drinking college days and I still, <laughs> and you still appreciate it. Yeah. So you've written hard, put away wet, but you still love it. That's um, right. uh, and maybe one other is that, um, so I've changed a bunch of diapers so far, especially Samantha surgery, everything. And I, it's just, I think he was, he was my first diaper. So I was, I was diaper virgin <laughs> before, um, before he came on and, uh, and I've had a lot of friends. So we being in the military, a lot of friends, young kids or had kids young. So I've had it offered to me a good dozen Baker's dozen number of times like, Oh, Hey, you want to change your diaper? Especially, you know, when they know we're getting pregnant yeah. and I'm, uh, the answer's always been no. <laughs> I don't want to change this diaper for your kid. I like, don't uh, want to touch your kid's poop. Okay? Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like a, golly, what's it like? It's, um, oh, it's, I think it's like other people's pets. Like, I love my pets, you know, and I certainly don't probably treat them as like royally as other people's pets, but like when it comes to other people's pets, like I don't want their hair on me. You know what I mean? I know that sounds... Yeah, we have a dog up. at the house right now. It's one of our roommates, and and the poop is building up in the backyard because the three roommates who don't the dog doesn't belong to are like, I'm not gonna do it. It's not it, my dog. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, you love him. Throw the you throw the yeah, ball. Throw the ball like, for me. But yeah, give him give him some right. And yeah. I, you know, there's another thing or two I, I've got to think about it, but I'd say that's probably, um, I, I okay. I guess you know what? There's also cries. We haven't been in public much. COVID, baby immune system. You know. But um, whenever I've been in public with babies, especially newborns, I guess is a little harder, but still when some kid is crying and just like wailing and the parents seem blase about it or overly stressed, I have nothing, you know, no angst against the baby, but it's the parents. I'm like, okay, mom, dad, like you're in public, figure it out. There's a bit of a social something here that, you know, you're like, whatever. And I like, you know, young kids, especially, but it's just a crying thing. Sure. Uh, yeah, but I, I mean, but I, I guess I, me. <laughs> right, right. I, it's just, you know, you're breaking the sound barrier is what I was just thinking. Yeah. Um, but I want to eat my own words on that and, and confess some um, un, lack of empathy before, because when Cato cries and he's had all these blood tests and pokes and pricks because of all these, you know, jaundice things, if he starts wailing and, you know, the people in the hospital room next to us, like, or, you know, are perfectly quiet or whatever, I have no concern for them. My own, I'm all, Cato's you know, <laughs> hurting, you know? Hey, like, hey, everybody, are you seeing this? Yeah. My baby's crying. Somebody well, needs to help out. Over well, it. yeah, I'm like, oh, I'm like, my heart goes for him. I'm, yeah. I'm focusing on his pain, not like other people's discomfort. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that makes sense. I'm, I'm still learning through that, full disclosure. I might have more uh, conclusions for it in a year or two. Yeah, well, sometimes, you know, maybe uh, a community's contribution to a raising of a child is just, not to give parents guff about that sort of thing. Right. Well, all that said, I'm sure we have a few uh, listeners who are curious about the name Cato, given its uh, connotations with the libertarian sort of milieu. Uh, now, now I know that that is not exactly where you got the inspiration from the name from. Is that right? Uh, it is. He, he is not named after the Cato Institute. <laughs> However, that's good. Yeah. You know what? I, I was a Samantha and I both were partial to C names. Uh, given you're Cyrus, I'm Chase, dad is Chris. But um, I didn't even think about the name Cato until I was actually asking God in prayer. Like, it's a good name. What name do you want for your son? If we're going to dedicate this child to you, like, what, 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 what do you want? 
and I actually first thought of Cincinnatus. And then I told God, like, that's way too long. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't want that. <laughs> Do you have anything else, God? It's <laughs> yeah. good, but... And then he came back with a two-syllable, and I was like, brilliant. <laughs> a true story. Um, that's funny. But, I, you know, looking it up, I, I knew there was in some Roman history, Cato the Younger, Cato the Older, you know, great statesman for Rome, uh, super anti-tyrants, anti-Julius Caesar. Uh, the Younger was, you know, definitely a boss, and the meaning really struck me and this we can get to our guest it's just that uh in paraphrasing natural wisdom with experience and boy i have a lot of energy some good ideas sometimes but maybe it's because i want to move too fast too often that i find myself lacking in what i would consider wisdom and Mm -hmm. i and therefore have a lot of maybe good relationships with older men who are willing to share that wisdom. So I would love for Cato's namesake to be true in that. Um, a little more intentional. With yeah. Being a, how he does goal. things and why he does things. That's right. That's very cool. Well, hopefully we will gain a little bit of wisdom at the end of this episode. Oh, right. Um, yep. Because I, I certainly did. I hope our listeners do too. We get into a lot of different topics, kind of start off with our guests religious background uh, we get into distinctions of feminism, what that means today, the nuances behind it. Uh, we get into what it means to be pro-life and all, all sorts of different topics. And that's because our guest is a leftist feminist. Famous podcaster for Reply yes, Guys. Reply Guys. Yes, absolutely. And we'll introduce her a little bit more thoroughly at the beginning of the episode. But we just want to, you know, kind of give a, a short little challenge to people who might be skeptical of leftism or feminism, because if you have yet to hear someone articulate a socialist or feminist perspective, you know, unfiltered by the media. So, or even social media. Yeah, 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 even more so maybe social media. And you take issue with feminism or consider yourself a conservative or a liberal or a Christian or... Defender of capitalism, too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's... I think that encompasses all those in a lot of ways. And, and more importantly, you feel like you have an open mind and that's something you identify as, you know, give us a good listen. I think you, even if you come away disagreeing with everything she says, you'll find your own points uh, sharper and more, more, you know, honed. Indeed. AKA if, if you're Ben Shapiro sure of capitalism and free markets, listening to Julia's story, like we got to have, and then re-listen to a few times gives me a new personal appreciation or how she arrived at what she um, has believes and, and why she does. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. So just one last thing before we get into it, this was intended to be a, a conversation about masculinity and we do get into that in parts, but frankly, the conversation just turned out to be much more far ranging and interesting in the paths that it went down. So no, if it goes off the rails, but it's going down a path that's hitting pay dirt, I say, yeah. let, it, let it ride. She took our masculinity and probably raised us feminist socialism writ large in America. So we took it, we, we took it for what you gave it. So. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, I think it's a great episode and I hope you enjoy it without further ado. Let's get into Julia Clare. All right, Cyrus, we have our first big guest. Some might know her as a socialist. Some might know her as a feminist. Some might know her as a podcaster, superhero. I don't know, but you pointed me and gave me the tip off. Yeah, so very excited for this episode. Something I've been uh, looking forward to since we started to formulate the idea for it. We have with us Julia Clare, as you mentioned, the host of co-host of Reply Guys, 
a leftist feminist podcast. She's a comedian, Twitter personality. I, uh, <laughs> pretty much cover everything there, Julia. <laughs> Huge, annoying bitch on Twitter. That's <laughs> that's mostly me. Yes. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm I'm very excited to be here again. Your faces are so earnest. It's not I'm not used to it on on my show talking to I'm used to talking to very sad people. This is a friendly well, fire. We're not going to try to you know, <laughs> We're new to the podcasting game. We haven't been worn down by Right, the, that's uh, true. The slings and arrows of the media world yet. So Yeah, you still um, have a, a glimmer of of hope in your eyes and I I celebrate that. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we can pass that along a little bit today. Um mm. speaking of the media world, I want to hear a little bit more from you about the formulation of the idea behind your podcast the name reply guys because a lot of our audience is not probably as terminally online as myself or you or, or me yeah a <laughs> full confession before you get it going our producer had to sit me down like a uh, father might a son and tell me what a reply guy was is with the sort of like disappointed well chase there are these people out there <laughs> <laughs> when a man and a woman hate each other very much. Yeah. <laughs> you almost had to tell me like is the Twitter conversation. So please, yeah, tell us. Oh, yes. So yeah, I came up with the name uh, because Kate and I are both my co-host, Kate Willett, uh, who's another amazing comedian. Uh, we are both terminally online to use the parlance of the day. And because Kate and I are two women online, uh, we get a lot of commentary in our mentions very often uh from you know the men of the internet correcting us correcting our jokes that's the most annoying one it's like sir what are you doing here uh yeah that's i mean that's that's the kind of the uh etymology of the word reply guys but the show kate and i kind of came up with because we just noticed a a void in the the podcast sphere for women talking about leftism and socialist issues. Um, some of the most popular leftist comedy podcasts are not casting any aspersions here, all hosted by just exclusively men or maybe just like three men, one woman. And it comes from a very kind of like anti-woke perspective mm. and that's not that's not how either Kate nor I are we're certainly not like PC warriors either but um, we just wanted to create a space for a less reductive frankly less kind of toxic <laughs> conversation about uh, socialism and how, you know, different points of identity can all intersect in this ideology that aims to serve a lot of people. Yeah, I think like when your podcast first came out, and I, I mean, I've been following you on Twitter for a while before then, um, and some of your, your stand up comedy and whatnot. But it definitely the, the media sphere on the on the left, especially is it's like there are feminist podcasts, but they're typically from a more liberal or neoliberal perspective. Yes. And there are obviously leftist comedy podcasts <laughs> by, by the thousands, um, but very few of them have a, have a feminine perspective. Or just it, one that where we like don't say the R word. 
like <laughs> right right i guess there is Sorry. another I'm left pod- feminist <laughs> feminist podcast on but uh they they shall not be named yeah <laughs> r word um it's the pejorative for a a mentally handicapped person ah very good thank you very uh, much yes chase has uh, a lot to learn still but we're, we're getting de- there developmentally disabled there we go i guess there you go <laughs> Uh, neurologically diverse is actually what we call him at work oh boy he's a pc king wow cool um you know and julia the thing we uh, have started is a series on masculinity as well just yeah. because our dad wasn't raised with a dad really had a couple different good and bad male influences in his life it's something that um sort of being the first one to believe in jesus in my family mm-hmm. i felt like i sort of grew up outside in on church until mom and dad really you know uh, became uh, believers themselves so whether it be masculinity in the church in America or within the army or within corporate America, they're all very different. And there's a lot of things I like, don't like. So we've started this sort of series to focus on that. And, you know, Cyrus, it was sort of a you know, lightning rod, like, oh, we need to bring Julia Claire on to really get a good woman's perspective on, on some of this <laughs> masculinity-ness. I knew that that's why I was being brought on ostensibly. Um, I do... Not that I don't love to represent all women. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I mean, this is definitely something that we talk about in different forms on my show. And uh, I know that it's the idea of masculinity is uh, and gender roles are very entrenched in evangelical Christianity. Yeah, and we don't need you to represent all women, of course, but uh, you know, we both <laughs> but, know but I will. most of them would be great. <laughs> yeah, as wide of a net as possible. Uh, certainly awesome. a, a decisive majority, but we know we've yeah. got blind spots. So yeah. we're certainly trying to cover those and, and expand. You know yeah, I mean? absolutely. As a middle-class college-educated white woman, I represent all women. Uh, <laughs> and that's really just my cross to bear. Hey, that's what TV tells me. Less. So that's, yeah. I'm willing, I'm willing to, to sign on. Um, <laughs> so kind of going from reply guys and and that just general idea obviously most spaces in our culture are pretty male dominated in the spaces i've spent the most of my time in my life namely like church and left spaces that's also the case i've i've found but do you think like is there anything indicative of the way men behave online that is is comes from like do men behave differently online and in person or is there something about this the reply guy phenomenon that you think says yeah. something about like american men at large oh uh, yeah guys in a bar online do you see people you know acting differently well I, I you know i don't think it's 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 a phenomenon exclusive to men certainly i think that people behave differently online i think people feel that they have a certain carte blanche uh with even if their name is attached to their you know their twitter obby or whatever or their their twitter handle and they have like a picture of themselves which very often i will say that the the worst offenders do not it's Mm. some kind of like bot name i don't know but i mean there's a sense that like the internet is just words kind of floating through space and therefore less impactful than like because very obviously no most of the people who have and you know it's it's truly it's not it's not so commonplace that it 
certainly that it makes me stop using Twitter, but it's uh, the worst things that have ever been said to me on online. Now, I know if that person were in front of me, they would never say it to my face. Whereas I would say everything I've ever said about Steve Bannon uh, <laughs> to his weird crater face that is always windswept for some reason. Yeah, he might not hear you with all those uh, lapels um, sticking sticking out of his ears. Those so many. many. Many polos that he wears. but So many lapels. He's a fashion innovator. I got to give it to him. Uh, he literally <laughs> looks now like he's just been at like Margaritaville for the last year. <laughs> I mean, if I were him, I probably would have would have started phoning it in after the first year of the Trump presidency, too. And just, <laughs> you know, this is my this is my life now, and that's okay. Um, yeah, I've I've done enough uh, evil in the world. I think I can rest now. Right, uh, right. <laughs> Good for him. He put um, in a a hard day's work on evil, and he uh, called it quits. Yeah, well deserved rest. <laughs> <laughs> But do you think, like, kind of going back, I think pe most people think both so about socialism and about feminism that it's like a very monolithic ideology. Yes. What do you? Uh, sorry, I have been hit in the head more than my brother has, Julia. When you say monolithic, Cyrus, what do you mean? Um, I just mean that, like, I think people who aren't familiar with those ideologies or intimately familiar tend to think that most socialists believe the exact same thing mm -hmm. or, or something very similar. Most feminists believe the exact same thing. But I feel like that's definitely not the case with socialism and also yeah. not the case with feminism. So I, I kind of want to hear a little bit about or from you, I guess, what the differences are between a, a leftist feminism and a liberal feminism or uh, sure. just kind of, yeah, outline that for, for our listeners. Yeah. So, I mean, the feminist discourse online is uh, among women is absolutely brutal it's uh it's about as close to reply guy behavior as, <laughs> as as you see a lot of prominent women get um but to answer your question a more kind of neoliberal feminism which is more mainstream uh what we see day to day is kind of you know your your Sheryl Sandberg lean-in feminism it's very capitalistic in nature it's kind of uh corporate how many more women ceos can we get that sort yeah. of stuff more female war criminals uh <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> yeah it's like yeah didn't they have like a female director of the cia recently or FBI? oh yeah gina haspel or, yep. or whatever the uh yeah. person who ran cia black sites and absolutely girl boss uh <laughs> girl boss alert so yeah, yeah margaret thatcher girl boss well we margaret thatcher, absolute girl boss undisputed <laughs> the queen and I'm hearing you say, Julia, that because uh, Cyrus really like laid out Biden's really a return to establishment last time, and it's sure. not much different. So you're saying like liberal feminism, what I might see on the media is basically putting women in charge of the political machine, uh, corporate yes. special interests, no real change, but just women in charge. Right. And okay. and I would say and I would say that that's kind of part of social neoliberalism writ large, which is just kind of having a more diverse board of directors for, you know, your, your most evil fortune 500 company or something. So leftist feminism in my understanding, and I do not have a perfect understanding. There are people I'm, 
I'm a member of the, of the Democratic Socialists of America, and there is an entire like socialist feminist caucus that uh, where they would they know much more than I do. There are reading groups. There, are, it's. But my understanding is that the project of leftist feminism it seeks to uplift all women instead of just uplifting women who probably in this day and age were going to succeed in some in some way uh, anyways. It's, it's you know, a little bit less like, uh, at least the way it seems to me is just, it's less symbolic. Yes. It's, and you know, the, the word intersectionalism certainly is like a buzzword and it gets thrown around a lot, but it, it really, at the end of the day, it's, it really is, is used a lot in leftist feminism because we are trying to address the root issues and causes of oppression that all that intersect race, gender, and class. So you're and, saying that the, the the problems in the world are not all just because men are evil. They might have something to do with it. They're but. simply not. And um, <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. And you know, these these conversations can be so reductive online. And I think that any real understanding kind of can only happen in a discourse like this or an in-person conversation. But to circle back to your original point about kind of a, a, a homogenous leftism, absolutely not. Uh, I've, if you've ever been to a DSA meeting, it's just- Oh, I like, wish that it were, but- <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a bunch of people arguing about minutia, just, mm -hmm. you know, people who have many different and and that makes it sound kind of petty we do a lot of good work <laughs> well like... you know julia it's a great it's a great point just because like if you listen to just a fox right and to like you know throw out to anyone that's a little bit more right-leaning christian on listening it seems like the socialists as they're painted are this unstoppable cohesive unified force mm -hmm. trying to tear down america and the reality is you're way more fragmented than that oh so. yeah that's why we <laughs> have so much trouble. <laughs> um, yeah, no, uh, I think a great deal of care is also taken in leftist spaces to kind of acknowledge the, and respect everyone's point of view, which, you know, makes for a very lengthy discourse, um, usually <laughs> about, about issues that maybe other people would think could be resolved by by a quicker conversation. May or may not be the most salient to the emancipation of the working class. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's. I think yeah. I mean, it's really good to to hear you give that perspective because you know I I being in Idaho and also being having been around conservative Christians my my whole life, but especially since I've become a socialist, I think a lot of times they're just fascinated that I believe things that they don't didn't that they thought or don't believe things that Fox News told them I did or, or whatever else and especially that I don't think Joe Biden is going to lead us into a uh, you know socialist green revolution I mean that, that honey, one catches. honey I wish <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah were that it were true but it, yeah. it is not so yeah now I feel kind of like a, a good time to get a little bit more into your background because I feel like those experiences I know uh, from, you know, your, your Twitter persona, more or less uh, your bio, <laughs> pretty much just that you have been religious in the past and that 
you know, you're not, not as much any longer, but I want to hear, uh, yeah, just kind of how that's maybe informed your beliefs. And sure to tie it into like Cyrus, obviously, you know, I had been a, a believer, a Christian by the time I was leaving high school and he's now this. And so I think there's a lot of people in the country that just like don't even know socialists, much less see them on TV and much less know socialist feminists. So mm-hmm. boy, your story is probably, a, <laughs> a, you know, a trip to some people. A real doozy. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, so I am from the, uh, the greater Boston area. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, you know, it <laughs> actually, that's offensive to my people. Uh, <laughs> It rocks. Yeah, I'm just go repent and buy buy some Duncan and watch a Ben Affleck movie. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I was raised, uh, you know, I have I was raised Catholic um, and my I come from a line of, of pretty uh, on my mater- my maternal lineage, uh, pretty devout women um my grandmother <laughs> never wore glasses but had a magnifying glass to read with like she never wore readers <laughs> she always she but she would you know she read the bible all the time she also uh you know my my mom took us to we went to church every week um i became uh an altar server and then a lector in the church what ages are you like you doing that so altar server, I was a kid. I, I can't remember how old I was. It was, you know, after I was confirmed. And then a lector, I was a lector in high school. So I would read from the Bible uh, in church. And now I know that that was just, you know, a way to brag about my good public speaking skills. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I later parlayed into stand-up comedy. Sure. <laughs> I, but I, I've always kind of had a churchy bent to me, uh, I think, and I got to college, had a pretty difficult experience my freshman year and had a kind of like spiritual moment. Basically, I was roofied my freshman year uh, at a party and I'm a great sleeper. And I usually can just like, I'm out. I can, I can do it. I'm can sleep on a bed of nails. I'm a very good sleeper. And after this happened, I like, I had no idea what happened to me and I couldn't sleep for days. And I was at a, at the time I was at a Jesuit college. Uh, I was at Loyola university, Maryland. And I, yeah, hell yeah. Go hounds. But basically one night I went out, you know, I couldn't sleep uh, for the nth night in a row. And so, I mean, I was like delirious anyways. And I'm going out and nobody else on campus is around. And I'm kind of like out in the this area on this big kind of uh, stone stairwell going to another part of the campus. And coming down on the other side was the... Uh, the president of the college, Father Brian Lenane. And at this point, again, I'm delirious. I haven't slept. And I was like, this is a sign that I need to talk to Father Lenane. And I know he does confession stuff because he's a priest. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Can he really refuse me? (laughs) 
And so, <laughs> and of course, no, and of course, no, he didn't. But also I was, I mean, how insane was I to be like, hello, president of the college, Brian Lenane, would you like to hear about my personal problem? I'm a freshman um, who hasn't slept in 72 hours. Exactly. <laughs> hey, you know what, though? If you got on the edge, but if he didn't, then God have mercy. Oh, oh, yeah. No, definitely. And so I told him what happened and how, like, ashamed I was and how I just, I just, like, needed to get it off my chest and how kind of despondent I felt at the time and then he was like can I pray for you and I said yes and we sat on the steps outside in the middle of the night uh, and he prayed for me and we were we prayed together rather and then I got home and I like a lights out just slept so hard and I took that as like a sim a sign that like I had been led astray and I need to, you know, really devote myself to back to your roots a little bit, back, back to my roots. So I started going to a different church, not the Catholic church on campus. I started going to one slightly off campus with some, some kids I met at my, at my school. And that was like more of a non-denominational church, but like very cool you know, everyone's Maryland, everyone wears their Ravens jerseys to church on Sunday. Um, crab cakes and football. Crab That's cakes and football. Um, <laughs> they actually wear the football gloves in service. In <laughs> so, and I started going to Bible study and I just got more and more into it. And then I got in, involved with a Bible study over the summer, uh, that summer. And then I ended up, you know, an, another year went by. And then after my sophomore year, I transferred to a school. I transferred to the University of New Hampshire and didn't know anybody. And I was like, well, that's okay because I know that, that they, I know that UNH has InterVarsity, which is like a collegiate Christian organization. And I was like, I'll just like meet people that way. And I made friends like within and without InterVarsity, but certainly. The, the people who I spent the most time with after my sophomore year, um, once, once I transferred, the people who I spent the most time with were kind of just were evangelical Christians, even of a different kind than what I was used to in Maryland. I would say much more kind of uh, socially conservative. Um, and I found it increasingly difficult, a difficult space to navigate. You know, I was in like, two different Bible studies. <laughs> Busy lady. And, you know, I did, I, I did, I did the whole thing, but the, certainly the cultural element of it was much more emphasized than it was in my, you know, my Bible study in Maryland was like run by this like lovely couple, like older couple, Don, uh, Doug and Kim, uh, who are still some of the best people I've ever met in my life they are if i have any belief in in uh in god left it is through them because they they're just like inherent goodness um and generosity as people but increasingly you know once I, I transferred i started going to 
the church that everyone went to at in InterVarsity and also the other larger Christian group on campus, which was called Crew, which uh, is was formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ, which does sound way scarier. <laughs> Sounds aggressive, yeah. <laughs> yeah you're in the belly I'm of- Picturing uh, guys on horses riding through campus. <laughs> so, I mean, the thing that was the most different about those organizations is um, than what I was used to is both like InterVarsity and Crew. It was very socially imposed kind of how to act and um, the rules of conduct as ordained by a, a certain certain belief system that to me is not biblical. But I started running up against more issues. Uh, basically, I felt kind of I was on the on the outskirts. Uh, I, I felt like I was treated as secular, even when I was very devout. It's like you maybe didn't agree politically with them or something. Yeah. And, you know, certainly I, I was confused myself at that time. I was not all the way here uh, to where I am today by any stretch of the imagination. But I think, you know, I, I was in an all women's Bible study and the, the conversation happened about, you know, the famous uh, passage of like, I would not do anything that would cause my brother to stumble and how that is very often used in, in evangelical Christianity in this context, which is, the, which is a way to tell girls not to be in any way suggestive or show their bodies. Just modestly. Right, it's, it's, it's an extension, it's, it's used to, to reinforce modesty culture. And I was the only one saying, I was the only one in this group, this, this like fairly, you know, this Bible study of like 10 plus women saying, I think it's silly that we can't wear two piece be bathing suits to the beach. Yeah, it's like kind the, of a puritanical, like everybody watching everybody mindset. Yeah. And I was like, and also the boys were less than we do. And so <laughs> there was like a double standard there of like, oh, boys are the only one who, ones who have like impure thoughts and also using the rhetoric of like I would not do anything that would cause my brother to stumble you're saying like the the implicit the implicit language there is that like if I wear a bikini as a woman my body is so inherently sinful that exposing it would cause my brother to stumble <laughs> <laughs> right you're in, um, you're in whole you're in a you hold some like secret evil power that you could just reveal at any time and ruin some young man's innocence oh god and only if i could uh <laughs> would love to ruin a young man's innocence um <laughs> I, I'm trying... sorry keep going oh no 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 sorry i was just making a joke no and i'm just trying to hear you from a number of levels and so i'm i can also imagine there's some direct and indirect shaming going on of like if you do that or if you think that or if you look like that then you're either ostracized or not accepted or looking like you're not loving Is yes okay. yeah i mean you look like you're in, in intentionally being provocative and i will say that like intervarsity the group that i was 
uh, a part of was of the two groups of between InterVarsity and Crew, InterVarsity was the more quote unquote progressive of the two. Crew had a number of couples who I know come out of there who did not even kiss until they were married. Yeah, that's um, hardcore uh, collegiate Christianity right there. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's easier when you're like getting married when you're 22. Like, right. but I don't know. Again, so, you know what? Interesting, well, interesting you say that, right? I think Joshua Harris, like in the whole um, I Kiss Dating Goodbye series, mm-hmm. like well, he was one of the guys that did this. And again, being outside in on the church, that was suggested to me at the time. Thought it was crazy. And I think he recently left the church pretty, pretty hardcore. And also he, even when he was still with the church, didn't he publicly say like, I regret writing this book and I don't agree with it anymore. (laughs) I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So you were, we were mixed up in some of that same stuff. Yeah. And so it was a very, you know, there was a very clear cut culture imposed on us in very specific roles. Again, we, I was in the group that was a little bit more lenient. Like I could hang out with one of my friends in IV, like my guy friends alone. And it was fine. Whereas in crew, they'd be like, well, what does that mean for your relationship? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I don't know. I just want to get a uh, pizza. <laughs> like, <laughs> Sounds like West Point. We, uh, you couldn't sit on the same horizontal surface in a room as a uh, member of the opposite sex. Oh boy. You couldn't even have the door closed with someone, a, a member of the opposite sex. At West. Yeah. So oh it's God. not like I don't know conservatism, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I, we have a little ex- experience with that. Also. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was tough for me and it was, um, I didn't, I also did not, I grew to dislike the church that everyone went to. Uh, Ooh, why is that evangelical church because again it seemed to be the pastor was very charismatic he's a very charismatic uh kind of wily coyote uh yosemite <laughs> sam character uh, in that he had like a red mustache and <laughs> but he really would I, I thought that he took a lot of the liberties kind of retrofitting some pretty like pretty clear-cut just social conservative ideology to the bible in a way that i didn't exactly feel like it fit and then i would ask questions i would ask him questions after church sometimes nice love the follow i would i would not get satisfactory answers and not just like i and they they almost weren't real answers at all it would just kind of be more like circumlocuting around the same Here's a riddle to solve. <laughs> exactly. And then I would express frustration to some of my friends saying like, you know, I, he should be able to answer questions, answer these, like these questions that I have for him. And they'd be like, well, Pastor Terry has the gift of preaching, but not the gift of teaching. And I was like, well, that's just a rhyme you made up. And that is <laughs> stupid. Like he should have the, I mean, at least come I, back with the answer. Like again, I come from uh, I come from the the Catholic tradition, and certainly the I mean I don't want to speak for like certainly like the priest I had growing up was like most of them have like pretty advanced theological degrees and can they can take what you what you got in terms of questions, uh, which I always appreciated. And I would say that like one of the things that I do that I have always appreciated about Catholicism is like the idea of the mystery of faith, which is that like 
there are some things that we just don't know. And I think that's a hell of a lot more honest of an answer than actually we have an answer for everything. Um, which you, is just, you just need to look hard enough. <laughs> exactly. You're just yeah. not looking, your, your sin is in the way. It was always like something, something like that. Like it's always something I was doing wrong and don't get me wrong. I love feeling personal shame and I will, <laughs> I'll do it forever. Shame with the best of them. <laughs> so, but, oh, I mean, and, and that was also another, I was pretty roundly dismissed when I would say, people would ask about my, my religious upbringing or people would ask about my, my faith background, whatever, my walk with Christ, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was, you know, was raised Catholic and I went to church every week and I went to like, I taught CCD, like all, all the things. It was just summarily dismissed. Mm. Catholicism is not seen in evangelical circles as real Christianity. Right. <laughs> I have verbatim heard evangelicals say Catholics are fake Christians. That also rubbed, I'm like, yeah, that, that also rubbed me the wrong way. But yeah, increasingly it was kind of like, it was things that I found to be creeping into the sermons every week that I didn't like and were not biblical. It wasn't just that I didn't like them. And, you know, obviously it was, it was a huge part of my social life. Absolutely. Like everybody. all my friends, it was everybody. Yeah. And the, the things that were passed around from people higher up than us, uh, people like adults, the, you know, some of the, the adult leaders in the group about like the prosperity gospel and things like that. Really, once mm -hmm. that was introduced into the conversation. And if you talk in prosperity, like if you do good, if you are good, if you name it and claim it as God, like, you know, if my, if your words, if my words reside in you and you reside in me, ask whatever you want, and it'll be done for you kind of thing. So, and also give money to the church. <laughs> okay. The prosperity gospel, which I'm sure both of you already know, is, you know, certainly in the, the corner of the evangelical church that I was exposed to was very much like God wants you to be rich and poor people deserve to be poor. Uh, or aren't working hard enough. They could pick yeah. themselves up by the bootstraps. God will help them help themselves kind of thing. Yes. And that is to me not not only not biblical it's like anti-biblical it's like i know that a lot of evangelical christians in this country by the numbers are single issue voters and for some reason that issue is not the the eradication of poverty mm. um because to me if you're just looking at the red words uh <laughs> <laughs> i Especially think the important stuff yeah um I don't know. I, I will say though that I, I mean, it's, it's what I believed then. And it's what I believe now is that the, the most repeated talking points in the new Testament are about caring for the poor and the sick orphans, uh, the needy and the prosperity gospel is completely antithetical to that. It's very, it's, kind of Ayn Randian rugged individualism being sold as Christianity. And I think that that's so deeply nefarious and wrong. We, I mean, when we were growing up, I mean, I remember being introduced to like 
mega pastors like Benny Han or, or, or whatever else. Um, and, and generally being told, you know, that they're not really telling, telling it to you straight, but I guess I didn't realize how, like, you know, coming from the West, it's not as common unless you're in California, I guess, but, um, like how almost ubiquitous that mindset is, or those teachings are in certain parts of the country and like large swaths of it. Yeah. And what, you know, and while you're thinking Julia too, you know, I'm, exploring exploring because i'm our brief intro before but there's a reason got to be a reason jesus said you cannot serve both god and mammon like you got to pick is what he said mammon being i think in this uh metaphor uh, yeah wealth many yeah wealth <laughs> yeah well i mean and also again this might just be coming from the catholic tradition of things uh and not that the catholic church has never built an opulent church, uh, certainly they are known for it, but, you know, priests and nuns, my aunt is a nun and she, you know, you take vows of poverty. Right. You know, you did say strong maternal Catholic influence. So touche. Yeah. And by aunt, she's a, she's my mom's best friend. She's not my biological aunt, but same, you know, yeah. Sister, 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 Helene, shout out. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a good Uh, She's a good lady. And like her work as a nun is exclusively about serving the poor. And, you know, she works with like orphanages and, and things like that. And to me, I, I have, be, I, you know, essentially when I graduated from college, I just wasn't around those people anymore uh, as, as closely. I still was attending church for about a year following and then I just kind of fell off and I made peace with that. Was, and- I mean, you, you mentioned like part of your transition at being out of that is as realizing that like the focus of Christians should be on the eradication of poverty. Yeah. Um, I know that like you didn't, I'm sure you didn't become a socialist like right away after that, but was that sort of like, did that inform your decision to be in, involved more in those ideologies or think about those types of things? Well, I mean, when you think about, regardless of what some evangelical Christians might, might say, I did grow up in the church and growing up with the framework of Jesus's teachings. Yeah, that absolutely kind of provided a basis for now what I consider just to be like naked, right and wrong. Yeah. Because I feel like I would say the same thing. I mean, like my instinct for socialism, like is undeniable. I, I think it's inextric- inextricable from my being raised to believe that things like generosity and goodwill towards man and, and those types of things are, are fundamental to human life. Um, and then I think I sort of fell out of it for similar reasons in, in realizing that at least the orientation of American Christianity is not really about that. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know, I guess I, uh, just that whole deal can be pretty jarring and it definitely left me like, I, I had left the church before I became a socialist for sure. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, so did I, you, you said the word jarring. Yeah. Like emotionally what's going on during that transition out transformation away. I, you know, I still visited my friends who lived in, they still lived in New Hampshire, largely, the, when I graduated. 
and I just, you know, recognized that my life, my life was becoming sort of inch by inch kind of further away from theirs, um, experientially, a lot of them had been in, a lot of them are now married, uh, or were in like very serious relationships at the time. So another similarity you share with West pointers. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. People get married right out of, right after graduation. Absolutely. Ring by spring. Um, but (laughs) it wasn't even, it wasn't a hyper-conscious thing to be perfectly honest. It was just kind of a, like a gentle falling away. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that that's like, okay. So your, your sort of feminist instincts, even if maybe you didn't call it that at the time, I don't know if if you would have labeled yourself that. Um, but those like definitely were part of your reason for, for leaving the church, but or that's what it sounds like, but certainly, were those certainly leaving, leaving the evangelical church. I, yeah, yeah. I would say I, I wouldn't, I would have still said that I was a Christian at the time, but I just, I became very disillusioned with the overbearing culture imposed by the church, the evangelical church that I felt was, uh, had, didn't have a bit biblical basis. And, it became increasingly difficult for me to navigate. And I was kind of, I was, you know, after a while, I was, I was tired of feeling like the center of the group. Yeah. Julia, I just, I'm soaking this in and, and also trying to understand. And it seems like you, you still maintained or tried to some of those relationships, but especially going back um, if there's, anything you could say or would want to say to either, you know, Pastor Terry or, or those people, especially now where you're at now, is there anything like, I don't know, like something that they did wrong that they should have been doing differently besides sort of just contextually, which you've made it obvious. I would, you know, I never feel that I'm a, I'm in a a place to tell anyone that they've, they've done something wrong. Uh, (laughs) Could they have loved you better? Maybe, you know, cause that's, we've got a, a lot of different streams of people you know, maybe two or three streams uh, of people that are interested in this. And I just like, if anything, uh, we can certainly do Cyrus or I is learn to love better. And yeah, I mean, yeah, to use the Christianese version of it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that, you know, just in the same way as like leftism is not homogenous, it's not a monolith. Uh, something as big tent as Christianity uh, is bound not to be either. And I think that for a group of people who professed to have so much intention on like people's hearts, like, oh, I can tell like your heart is, your heart is in the right place or that's on your heart or like that seemed to be almost irrelevant when Mm. uh, in a lot of these discussions. And I hadn't even like, you know, a lot of this revolved around sexual sin um, because that is very, um, certainly a call out of the last couple of decades. If the church has a favorite sin, they like to make evil, sure. evil publicly sexual sins, probably it. So yeah, going back to the, like the, the prevailing wisdom is that like girls don't have impure thoughts. Only boys do like what's the, uh, Liberty university, that big Christian evangelical Christian university. Shout out to uh, my read, boy, Jerry Falwell. Uh, shout out to our buddy. boy. Uh, <laughs> God have mercy. <laughs> um, just uh, never made a mistake in his life. Um, but <laughs> I read a great book uh, by Kevin Roos that 
came out like maybe 10 or 12 years ago called The Unlikely Disciple, where he was like a student at Brown and he met a bunch of evangelical Christians from Liberty University and realized that he knew less about people in his own country than he did you know, people in Europe or, or what have you. So he decided right. to transfer there um, for a semester as kind of an experiment and live like a, like a real Christian for a semester. Wow, that and, <laughs> and he it's a great book it's like a really he's a writer for the times now and he is uh he's it's kevin kevin roos he's really he's really great but basically he said that there is a group on campus called every man's battle uh which is you guessed it about masturbating <laughs> I, I i i did that book series in middle school with my youth group my men's uh boys boys group i think it was called <laughs> So there is no such group for women. Wow. It's just assumed that we don't do that. <laughs> Wait, what? Wait, uh, you, you do? You do? Yeah. Wait a second. <laughs> Fellas, uh, I'm here to tell you, I'm here to spread the good word about masturbating. Uh, <laughs> My freaking ears. <laughs> Rod but, and Todd reference from the Simpsons, if anyone <laughs> Um, But basically... And I was, I was, I think I was, I was telling my boyfriend about this a few months ago and he was not, he was raised, he was raised secular. So he, this is all like crazy. Oh, it's fantasy land to him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That, but basically I was like, well, this one girl and I from crew who is still my friend to this day. And I still do have friendships uh, with, with folks I met there to this day. Uh, one of my friends uh, who was in crew and who was like extremely hardcore, but she was also very funny and charismatic and engaging. She was just like a cool, she was a good hang. And she- Not a nerd. Yeah, she was, uh, she was very fun. We just like, we were both like, we, we were both funny and we both like, we just got along right away. But um, she was extremely devout and she was like- everything was scripture for her again that's she was in crew she was really all in on like the culture and everything like that and i know she had a very hard time reconciling her sexual past from high school Mm. and it like really ate her up even though she was about as devout as they come Mm. she was like i can't get over who i was then and and also that she and i were the only girls i knew in either crew or intervarsity who ever said that they like had a quote unquote problem with masturbating like basically the only girls who like admitted that we masturbated um and that and then we became like quote unquote accountability partners so like if i masturbated i would have to tell victoria <laughs> hey I hate and to boy this to you, but... boy did i <laughs> <laughs> i jerked it i just jerked it. <laughs> but no, I, I would go, I would, I would really white knuckle it. I would go for a long time uh, without doing it. But yeah, it was one of those things that was, again, it was just like, girls don't have sexuality. They're only like girls both. Okay, it was the duality of girls are not interested sexually are not like kind of sexually curious, but also that girls are like, our bodies again are inherently sinful and like we're just by 
standing in the room are these like temptresses and both not sexual and irresistibly sexual at the exact exactly. same time. <laughs> and honestly, like the ultimate manifestation I in popular culture, in American culture that we've we've seen of this kind of view on women is Mike Pence, I think. Uh, how he approaches I mean, he would not be alone in a room with another woman, even a colleague, without his wife present. And the, again, the implicit there is like, because something might happen, men are just weak and men are visual creatures and, uh, you know, they can only be so strong. And that just from the opposite side is if, if what I've been heard from multiple different, like he would be like a paragon of, um, or an epitome, if I use the word paragon wrong, um, of like, he's doing it you know he wow boy look how pure this guy is so you're not wrong in throwing that out as an example yeah yeah i mean he is seen as like he was seen as the he was brought onto the trump campaign as a bone to evangelical voters who were a little bit squishy on trump and initially and then they and then they just you know they still support him to this day but yeah, he definitely embodies a lot of the, the cultural ideas about gender and sexuality that I, again, I do not find to be biblical or right. <laughs> and I'm trying to really think through it and, and hear you too, because then like, and then, oh, by the way, if you're talking about maybe like a college Christian woman. And oh, by the way, when you do get married, you're supposed to serve your husband sexually. And like, you're not supposed to deny each other, you, him or him, you. So all of a sudden you're supposed to find that. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's like, you're supposed to be sexless until you get married. And then you're supposed to be having, fucking your husband all the time. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <The church laughs> showed you, you know. <laughs> sorry. But you're supposed yeah. to flip the switch is, is what you're hearing. And yeah. so I'm. Hey, uh, I didn't angry that, you know what? <laughs> it's just like, it, it just seems like I've also heard this idea that like, anything that's taboo isn't addressed and it's uh, to use a cultural phrase like thrown in the closet and oh by the way like figured out and oh by the way a little bit of shame and you'll get there yeah yeah i I feel like you know kind of something we've been talking about in prep for this episode too is just the general idea that like women feel or that's what's been expressed to me at least is that women feel like femininity and womanhood much more keenly than like men might in their day-to-day life or they're aware of how it affects their life um but that story you told just reminded me of like like i didn't have a sexual history in high school so when i first i mean neither neither did i my only my the only thing i had you know i was i was a virgin at the time when i was uh you know, when I was in college and when I was very devout and I was like, I felt good about that. I was like, oh, thank God I didn't make a mistake in high school and now and ruin myself for the Lord. <laughs> yeah, I was like, thank God for masturbating. I know. Uh, <laughs> but it was those first sexual experiences. And I feel like this might just be um, part of, of like sort of the male centered view is like when I first started to have sex, I was like, oh, this is great. Like God wouldn't want me to not have this. (laughs) So that, that was, you know, sort of when my, my first doubts started to creep in, but I think like basically if anybody tells you sucks, drugs and rock and roll sucks. 
they're lying to you um <laughs> basically right i mean like because like that's that's a lot of um especially mom and dad being grown up in the that belief like late along with me i had a lot of people like you know oh, avoid it it'll ruin your life it's really tough to buy into that when you either have sex drugs or rock and roll and go no well and i feel nice like if other like like if you do leave your traditional things that give you identity and meaning like religion like the only other alternatives our culture has are like consumer products, distraction, right. things to like kind of what we we're talking about in the first masculinity episode, just like the things that keep boys from turning into men because they're distracted or not really interested and they have some arrested development there. So for me, like, even though I wasn't, didn't really come to socialism, I didn't really feel like I understood feminism or understood like my own masculinity until i became a socialist because it gave me like another sense of identity that and a sense of meaning um cyrus i didn't have after i was left the church yeah you are on point and i love this however julia i want to make sure we need it like i think do we need to start landing the plane because we are at time and we want to like maybe have you not hate us because we're really just (laughs) cooking and we would love to you know have you back to get going on this more we could we could we have a lot more questions but i want, want to make sure <laughs> if i mean we, if we can we can make this a two-part episode i can stay on i'm i'm down <laughs> are, cool. are you sure we, don't, we want to respect your time yeah 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 i, I mean like there but i have no time to respect i just <laughs> <laughs> no uh no this is this okay. is great this um I'm, I'm down to keep going Well, that was that was a lot. I think, you know, we're we're in for it in the second episode even more. Yeah, exactly. Uh, We're just getting just getting warmed up with Julia Claire. And we wanted to give just a short note about the way we plan on conducting our interviews. You know, for those tuning in for the first time, just a, a little bit about us, what we're trying to do. This show is about two brothers with, you know, very similar journeys, but wildly different perspectives. And that, you know, divergence in their perspectives over time or in our perspectives over time has sort of yeah, caused I mean, us to neglect our relationship. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I, we have not made calls to each other when we should have. Let's put it like that. It's probably one of the most practical ways to say yeah. it. Yeah. Because, you know, we were been heated or didn't want to disagree or do that. We freaking wasted family dinners and holidays arguing about baloney politics that we kept opinions we hold very dearly. But when well, some stuff we don't even believe anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so that, that's right. And so, yeah. you know what? Um, th- th- quickly, Cyrus and I grew up same family, five years separated. I'm older. And within our, our timelines, we kind of went from relatively lower class to lower middle to middle class. And after high school, we both joined a military academy uh, where we graduated and commissioned as army officers. And then uh, after the army, I... I went to Wall Street and started working for a Wall Street firm and still and still do. Uh, Cyrus uh, got out and volunteered for the Bernie campaign and then went in protest with socialists um, in South America. And the only thing that brought us back together was <laughs> George Floyd's murder and um, and COVID because we moved back to our parents and moved to East Idaho and had basically bought a recluse castle in East Idaho just for the apocalypse. And that's where... <laughs> and uh, yeah our dad works so to speak yeah, so to speak yeah <laughs> um they're not preppers but they're on their way maybe anyway they're, they're flirting with prepping 
Yeah. <laughs> they do it um, yeah, lightly. Anyway, yeah. so that's that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, just to, as a short example, you know, when we grew up as learning about American history, that sort of thing, like one thing that really sticks out to me was that learning about the Civil War and hearing about brothers fighting against brothers, fathers against sons. And that sounded bizarre to me when I was a child. And as I got older and some of those opinions became more calcified and, and, and more firm in our beliefs, I started to see how lines could get drawn. And I guess what I'm saying is, is I don't think we're at a point now where that needs to happen. And, and we still have a chance to, you know, love on the people that we can love on and try and find some commonality and some common ground. So we don't yeah. get there. And to close it out, I think that the second thing, the last thing the show is about and should be about is brotherly love, right? I mean, it's about kin, neighbors, uh, countrymen even. Our comrades. Okay, comrades. <laughs> Anyone in our community probably. Yeah. Um, but our, our, our communities are so freaking different now. They're even, they feel isolated. And, they, and, and people in different communities seem to, to hate each other with each news cycle more and more. Yeah, I mean, to, I would say to the point that they blame people that they imagine exist for their problems, people outside of their community, because they don't interact, yes. because they don't have those conversations. They, they don't, you know, the snowflake liberal or the knuckle-dragging redneck that, you know, we imagine in our heads is the cause of all of our country's problems. That's right. That's right. You know, that's all in our heads in a lot of ways. Uh, so, you know, when we're talking about unity, I think we're talking about this isn't the Joe Biden inauguration shallow Super Bowl commercial unity. This if is about, only that worked. Yeah, yeah. If it was as simple as General Motors telling us to love each other, then maybe <laughs> maybe things would be better, but yeah. I don't think it is. So it's about understanding something that, you know, I think if we all interrogated, we'd inherently recognize that there's a lot more in common between someone sitting on the left and right sides of the aisle uh, on a and coach than, than someone up in first class or someone, you know, better yet, oh, taking a private jet. <laughs> I see what you did there. I like your, your plain class example. Yeah, that's one that Cyrus is still working on me for. But as someone who's read almost everything Ayn Rand has written, I've largely moved away from that to, to be very interested in that, you know, it's, it's a little frustrating that folks like Jeff Epstein or with Trump or Clinton or whomever, like, they don't seem like to abide by the same laws we do. And we get put a lot of issues in between us that cause us to vote on wedge issues and against economic issue, issues that are in our best interest. Yeah. So we I don't mean, want to get into everything, but that's. Yeah. 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 No, I think that that's, that's couldn't be more evidenced by, you know, the impeachment trial and the, the total circus that we're, we've been witnessing over the last week as, as we record this, which is to say that, you know, that none of those people seem to have any connection to what people nowadays need uh, in their lives the, the things that can actually make their lives better so all that said we hope you enjoyed uh, our discussion with julia claire and while you wait for the next episode feel free to check out our back catalog we have a little bit more introduction to us and the show uh drop us a line leave a comment i know i could use a few reply guys you could probably use reply a few reply girls <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i wouldn't stop that um well anyways <laughs> Thanks for uh, tuning in and uh, look out for that episode in the next few days. Thank you, team. He dies, but principles are eternal. And this has been a contest over a principle. In this contest, brother has been arrayed against brother, father against son. 
It is for these that we speak. We do not come as aggressors. Our war is not a war of conquest. We are fighting in defense of our homes, our families, and posterity. This has been Cross of Gold. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'd like to thank Sant Invictus for producing our intro and outro songs and uh, look forward to seeing you next time.